I'm a huge fan of technology that really pushes us forward in the direction of making it more friendly to use Ethereum and the Ethereum ecosystem, much more simplified, and also reducing the financial barrier to entry associated with decentralization. Hey, I'm Rudy, and this is the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Here, we learn about the lives of our favorite crypto experts, leaders, and entrepreneurs. Welcome, Max Lyman, to the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here this morning. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Uh, I know that you're working on Solon Labs. It's going to be an amazing platform to do everything on crypto. But before we get into what it is, what you're doing in the crypto space, I want to know more about where you were in life before every year, ever hearing about cryptocurrencies. So I really, I really got involved in the crypto space in 2016. Mm-hmm. But I first found out about crypto in 2013. Uh, and I was playing CSGO. I was, <laughs> I was playing CSGO on my laptop. Or actually on my desktop. Uh, and some random dude hit me up and he's like, yo, I want your skin. I was like, okay. Like, yeah, what's a skin? Oh, okay. So like before NFTs, there's some cool like niche games. Obviously you could use like in-game currency or yeah. maybe some like the next evolution, uh, US dollars to purchase in-game assets, right? And Valve kind of really revolutionized this before NFTs with the uh, the Steam Assets Marketplace, where any users can actually like own skins, which is just like art for your guns and knives and uh, all those other things. Gotcha. Uh, and you could trade them for cash. And then you could actually use that cash to buy games or other things. But it would always stay as like Valve and ecosystem credit, right? Because yeah, sure, it was like US dollars, but you would have to use it on, on Steam, right? Mm-hmm. So within their platform. Um, but it was cool, you know, it was a lot of fun at the time. So I was, I was just playing CSGO. Some guy hit me up. And he's like, hey, I'll buy, I'll buy the skin for you. Uh, I was like, okay. <laughs> he's like, I'll give you 10 Bitcoin. I was like, I, at the time, I had no clue what Bitcoin was. Wow. So I'm 13 years old. I hit, I hit up Google. I'm looking up like, what's Bitcoin? I just find a bunch of random things. I still have no clue what Bitcoin really is. Um, but like, I, I see there's a price attached to it. Right? It has value. And I, I was just like, eh, whatever, you know what, I'll do it. And I made the trade. He actually ended up giving me a Bitcoin. He could have just rugged me, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and then I sold it like a few months later for I think like $6,000. And I was so hyped. Of course. Know? I mean, I like, it's natural to be hyped for as a, as a young kid too. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was like the most money I'd ever seen in my life. Right. And uh, I, I just couldn't believe it. And obviously today it'd be worth a shit ton more money, but you know, I, I like to believe everything happens for a reason. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're a cooler person if you have to work, for, work for things. Right. <laughs> um, so, and then in 2016, my, my older brother, he, I kind of like completely forgot about Bitcoin for a while. And my older brother was like, yo, I found this cool new thing. It's called Bitcoin. I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And he's like, I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm like, all right, cool. He's like, you want to make money too? I'm like, I like money. <laughs> so that's honestly how I really got involved with cryptos. Back then, um, he didn't really know anything technical, but he was very much a business guy, my older brother. Um, so we started a cryptocurrency mining company. And um, I would just, you know, build out, assemble all the computers, nothing too complicated with like RX 580s, et cetera. Uh, and then we started moving into ASICs that we'd get from Bitmain 
mm-hmm. um, and other suppliers. And then we designed like some of our own CPU cooling hardware and a few other things. And we had our own warehouse space. Um, and then 2018 happened. And in 2018, uh, everything was shut and everyone wanted to liquidate everything. And the worst for the ASIC miners, because those are created specifically to form applications designed around mining. Bitcoin, right? Yep. Uh, improving consensus on the Bitcoin blockchain. So they were like absolutely worthless. So we we, we paid like <laughs> probably like I think it was like two thousand dollars per miner for per ASIC, and they were selling in twenty eighteen for like fifty dollars a pop. Oh, so you bought them on the hype, and then oh, oh, oh yeah. well, we bought them directly from the supplier, not even on resale. This oh, is wow. not resale. Yeah, yeah. Oh, damn, so we bought much. them from Bitmain. Um, I. Like once you paid for like you would have to pay to expedite them from China, right? So yeah. like it took a month to get them from China, and then you'd have to pay like all these custodial fees and you would have to deal with any letters for seizures from the US government, all this other shit. Um and then when you finally paid the government off, right, then they would actually <laughs> let you get your minor. Uh but yeah, dude, these these things were like they were definitely even the components on them, like if you just literally took a soldering iron and just scrapped it, right? was worth more than $50. But that was the going price for them. Is everyone lost faith in crypto. Like That was the first real big bull run we ever had. And so much liquidity exited so quickly yeah. and just did not want anything to do with it after that. Um, wow. Yeah. So, you, so at this point, you're really focused on just making a profit mining Bitcoin. And that's, is that kind of like the extent of your technical knowledge of the cryptocurrency industry and blockchain technology? You just knew that if I mine, I generate Bitcoin. And if my electricity uh, expenses were enough to pay off uh, by selling Bitcoin, you'd just make money and you'd be happy. But did you know anything about like Ethereum or ICOs at that point? No, not really, honestly. Wow. I like, I, I saw some Bitcoin ICOs. Um, yeah. But... I wasn't really paying attention to the whole Ethereum ecosystem. I honestly didn't even know anything about it. Didn't really know anything about smart contracts. I just understood like the blockchain and consensus, right? Yeah. I understood consensus technology. And at the time, like we did a lot of operations where, you know, our non-ASIC miners would mine alternate blockchains and then convert assets through pools or wherever else into Bitcoin. Um, but really like I only knew about consensus and then um, in the beginning of 2020, uh, during the pandemic, I, I got really just bored <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of really dug back into crypto and I decided to give Ethereum and the Ethereum ecosystem a shot. And now I'm an Ethereum maxi. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, I consulted for a little bit in, uh, the Ethereum world for some protocols, helping them to add value to the government's tokens or just create new general valuable utility. Uh, and then worked for the government for a little bit. And then I uh, started Solon with that. <laughs> so then, well, well, did you um, complete university or college? So actually, I'm in school right now. I go to Northeastern University. Nice. And um, I have this, um, I actually literally just dropped a class today. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's hard, dude. Like a uh, full class load and working full time at the same time. Yeah, it's not uh, easy. And, man- and managing people at the same time, right? Um, it's just like when you factor in all the little details, like the legal structuring of foundations, hiring people, onboarding people, 
um, like document structure, getting audits done, coordinating between like development partners and yeah. and maybe 1099 employees and all this other, it really, it and then going to all these other events, right? Like it's a lot. Um, it's, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised you're managing it all so well because you look like <laughs> it's all nonchalant, but I know like running a business is not easy. Let alone going to school. Like when I was going to school, I was like, I I know I want my life to be in crypto. I want to drop out because I don't I don't want this, but I know I kind of it's nice to have a degree under my belt. That's about it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would have dropped out, but honestly, um, uh, my parents just really wanted me to get a degree, and I only had um, like six classes of so yeah, just get it over with. You'll be yeah. happy. I guess you won't fully regret it. Yeah. Uh, what do you, what, not. are you in a CS or what's the, what are you studying? No, it's actually, it's electrical engineering of all things. Oh, nice. I That's what I did. absolutely will probably never do. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Electrical engineer with an MBA. But. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm just electrical engineering and I'll probably never do anything with a degree. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like when you, people just want the engineering mindset in their, whatever, in their structure, like company, if you're just working this all in labs and you tell them you're an engineer like oh, okay like great like, but everything you learn is because you're working so hard to make a company and you're going through all this experience of like suffering and figuring it out on your own <laughs> that's that's where you really learn yeah, everything that's where you really learn <laughs> yeah. so yeah. it's it's the pain that really keeps you up at night that's what the memories yeah so then um how did you meet your co-founder ben to start solon labs so I worked um, at a military contractor called Viking Detection in Burlington, Mass. And while I was there, Ben was uh, actually an intern originally. And um, I first met Ben when he was 15. Or maybe he was 16. I think he was 15. But yeah. So um, he, I, they want, they were actually willing to pay for his college tuition. Oh, wow. stayed worth it. Yeah. So instead, I was like, Ben, he was a completely self-taught programmer. I, I kind of got him into the, the whole crypto world, sent him some white papers. He was hooked. Um, and he taught himself solidity. And then I was like, hey, Ben, you know, let's go. Let's leave. Let's start this. And uh, he left. We started Solon. And then he dropped out of high school. Oh, wow. I dropped out of high school. <laughs> Congrats, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Man. So then when you were i guess you said you kind of influenced ben into the crypto ecosystem but what really triggered you to other than the money and what about ethereum really triggered you to say this is here to stay this is something where i can build a future in and obviously your entire career paths um what, what really gave that what was that moment where you were like this is this is why i need to stay here so the money definitely brought me into the space in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but what's kept me here has absolutely been the technology. Um, like I, I have never lost faith. And for me, for the first time in history, this is an actual system where we can rely on decentralization, right? Like we have all these like proposed economic structures and systems like communism, socialism, <laughs> blah, 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 capitalism, right? Yeah. Uh, whatever it is. Right. But, there's always corruption somewhere in every system. You can never trust the individual. Human beings are naturally selfish. And it's it's the idea of, hey, for the first time, we can actually design a system around the idea that people will always likely do what's in their best interest, right? Mm -hmm. Always assume the worst case scenario. 
and and that's why I love decentralization because for over a billion people all over the world who deal with insane levels of corruption and inflation, like my favorite example to give is Nigeria because over 200 million people live there. And the government said a snake ate $2 billion in taxpayer money. Obviously didn't happen. And, and a monkey stole another $1 billion. Uh, but, and during, during COVID, when people were protesting over SARS, which is uh, kind of like their equivalent of police brutality, um, they would just freeze people's bank accounts and they were just fucked, right? Like the average GDP per capita there is only a few thousand dollars. You freeze their bank account, you have access to no money. Your inflation is 80% over a period of eight years. You can't even make money fast enough to keep up with the rate of inflation. Wow. And then your government freezes all your money and you can't, you can't even afford to feed your families, right? So at the end of the day, this for the first time in history creates an alternate route for these people where they don't have to trust their governments. They can keep, they can be their own custodians. They don't need to trust any bank. Right. And on top of that, they can keep all their assets in something stable, like, like us dollar coin. Right. They don't need to even trust their, their local currency and nor should they have to, right? Like people should always do what's in their best interest. They should, people should do what's in their best interest. Right. And systems should be designed to enable people to actually do what's in their best interest and not have these like overhead restrictions just because of the area of the world they're located. Uh, That's why I love decentralization and blockchain and Ethereum. Exactly. That's like one thing I've learned about being in the blockchain industry is like you said, people are always doing what's in their best interest. We would hope they act that they do things for the greater good so that everybody wins. But yeah, people are are people. They're going to do what's best for themselves. And that's when the game theory comes in play where acting in your own best interest actually benefits everybody anyways. It's, that's the incentive is to act in your own best interest and in any interest that you have. That way, everyone has a piece in the, in the pie where they can actually win. So if you're in Ethereum for just money, you're going to promote Ethereum or any other cryptocurrency that you love to do well because you're invested in it or for building a project in it. You want that to do well. You're going to build the best project you can so people get onboarded and they talk well about your company. It's always like in your own best interest. That's better for everyone else. And And it's just, it's so cool to me too that you can just like create anything you can define by code. Yeah. Yeah. I have this decentralized consensus layer, which means no matter what, I can run anything on top of this computer that no one can control. No one can shut down. No one can filter my content. Right. So, hey, anything I deploy on this is going to run indefinitely, right? No one will be able to screw around with it. It will do exactly what I have defined it to do. Mm-hmm. That might not be exactly what I have wished for it to do, right? But it'll <laughs> do exactly what I defined it to do, right? Uh, defined by code. Uh, but you can create all sorts of restrictions, right? So, like, if I wanted to create uh, a community, right, that was gated by, um, let's say, uh, how often you trade, right? I could, right? I, yeah. I could airdrop an NFT to everyone and make that enable that access and make a sold out token, right? Or I could create the structure of a DAO and make it so, hey, I only want X people um, with Y certain things in common to be able to interact or create proposals in the first place, maybe as a way to filter out proposal content, right? Or they need to have at least Y amount of our governance tokens, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, these are all very simple things and they're just editing small little features in current existing systems. But when people like to say words like DAO 
they think, oh, it's it's blah blah blah, decentralized organization, whatever. Like, no, they don't really understand that you can really create like any sort of configuration you could possibly dream of. Right? You can make it so every single person that holds has to a hundred percent agree to everything, right? <laughs> and you can make it so only one person could ever create a proposal. You can make it so anyone can create a proposal, right? You can make it so uh, everyone in the world is airdropped one share and it's diluted every day. Right? Like, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. That's it, a beautiful just, thing. It is. It really is. And, and I'm glad you're taking that. I'm, th- I'm glad you're seeing that creativity because it is as creative as you can get. There is no limit. And I'm glad you're experiencing that. And I wanted to go back a little bit on how you're referencing like Nigeria as a country that you can't trust your own government to let you keep your funds no matter what. And especially when I explained like cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and Ethereum and blockchain to people in the States, it's kind of like, like why? Like my, my money is safe. My money is stable. Like what do I need an unstable, volatile asset for? I don't really understand and it's like, well, if you travel to different countries or just read about different countries and seeing the struggles they have with controlling their own money and transferring money even between each other, like uh, like for us, we have like Venmo and PayPal and so many different ways to send dollars to each other. They don't have all those other options and let alone the inflation rates that's going on over there too. So it's like, yeah, it's hard to convince someone you should move your dollars somewhere else because... You just want to have ownership of your own assets. But like, why? In the bank, it's FDIC insured. I don't have to worry about saving it somewhere. I don't have to worry about any private keys or ledgers or this or that. It's just like, but this is the future. It's hard to explain to people in the States like why it's so important. That's why it's very interesting to see. Like there's a study Binance published um, Mm -hmm. in Q3 of 2017. Or actually maybe it was Q2 of 2017. It doesn't matter. Uh, we had 5 million users of cryptocurrency. In Q3 of 2021, we had 105 million users of cryptocurrency. Now, the total market cap of the, the crypto space went up, I don't know, like a 2.8x from the all-time high in 2017 versus 2021. Um, but the number of users went up a 51x, right? Wow. Um, so that should tell you, right, the average GDP per capita of the crypto space has gone down dramatically. Uh, And to me, I think it's a really cool thing because it kind of goes to show that back in 2017, it was really your niche wealthy person who was kind of just trading crypto because it was this exciting new technology. Um, But today we have people that are using the blockchain fundamentally because it is a better financial system for them, even though they are forced to hold volatile assets than their existing financial system. Mm-hmm. And, and while discovering all this, you, at the same time, are you generating the idea of building Solon Labs or is this uh, in line with it in parallel? Yeah, so for us, right, like we are the ultimate fans of decentralization. We love the Ethereum blockchain. We love all these things. But at the end of the day, right, the, the whole process of, even downloading a MetaMask and connecting your wallet in 24 words, ETH phrase, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is a huge barrier to entry. Um, obviously, largely on the user friendliness side, mm-hmm. but also there's a significant financial barrier to entry associated with decentralization. When you have an average transaction cost of 
a few dollars to 50 plus dollars, depending on uh, the complexity of the transaction, or even on the L2s of you know 50 cents to uh, a few dollars, right? It, it, that's still a huge barrier when your average GDP per capita for the majority of the world is only a few thousand dollars, right? Um, so yes, decentralization is really important. And when we're talking about this group of now, you know, 105 plus million people, the vast majority of them aren't transacting, they're storing their wealth. And the reason why is they would transact more often, right? Mm -hmm. If they could, they could probably, they would probably use it as facilitation for payment to every vendor, right? Um, but they don't because of transaction fees. Right? It's just, they do it one time. They group all their money, as much money as they can together. They send it in and they do that, at, you know, let's say once every few months, right? But they can't use it daily as a form of payment yet. Um, so I'm a huge fan of technology that really pushes us forward in the direction of making it more friendly to use Ethereum and the Ethereum ecosystem, much more simplified, and also reducing the financial barrier to entry associated with decentralization. Um, so that's really where Solent fits in. And Ben, our, my co-founder, he came up with the idea to implement what's quite similar to account abstraction um, uh, before the consensus layer uh, of a transaction. And the way it works is it allows a smart contract to act as a top-level account. And a top-level account is something like a wallet. Uh, and since it's also a smart contract, we can define all of this by code. Right? So we can change the way transactions are executed. So users still have to sign in order to give approval, but a signature is free. Instead, the transaction is actually executed itself by a third party. And this third party, we like to call them bundlers, but they're really professional arbitrage traders. They're market makers. And market makers know how to most efficiently execute transactions in any economy. That's their job. Individuals are naturally inefficient. Right? If I'm an individual, I'm going to hop on your software and trade, get whatever that price is, whatever it is. I'm good with it. Right? Um, this way, we can take change the way transactions are actually executed. And since the party that executes is the one that, that actually pays a gas fee, right? They're the ones that are directly interacting with the smart contracts, et cetera. We can simplify the whole process of transacting on the Ethereum blockchain down into pressing a single button into no longer having to hold Ethereum in your wallet. You can just pay the fee in whatever asset you're trading, US dollar coin, blah, 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 whatever it is, doesn't matter. Um, and bringing it all into one central location for users. Um, so that's really how Solon came to be. We wanted to create a product that was going to be uh, a Ethereum in one location, but a shit ton easier for people to use and a shit ton cheaper for people to use. So now I want to understand more of the technical aspect of Solon Labs. So I, as an individual, I guess I'm going to break it down so all of our listeners also understand exactly what's going on. So I, as an individual, log on to Solon Labs connect my metamask wallet and I no, want... so here i'll walk you through the process yeah right? please so do like, so i i kind of just started with the technical background right like mm -hmm. how all of this is possible how, how are we reducing the cost but still being a protocol on ethereum right we're not an l2 we're not a scaling solution we're a protocol on ethereum we're also a protocol on l2s like arbitrum optimism zk etc we're not live yet we will be um probably the end of this year q1 of next year um but anyway, what this process really looks like is the idea is to create the same level of user-friendliness of Android or iOS, right? Where mm -hmm. you have a bunch of applications. When I unlock my iPhone, I'm filled with a home screen of applications. These applications represent 
individual companies or operations that I want to execute. I have the applications that I personally want to interact with on my home screen. We're creating the same thing, basically. We're creating the operating system for decentralization, where you'll have a home screen. It will be an app on your phone. We'll also be on a web browser. But anyway, you'll have a home screen. This home screen will have applications, and these applications will represent the major dApps. So you'll have, you know, a Uniswap app, Balancer, Bancor, OpenSea, LooksRare, whatever you want. You personally as an individual. Um, and the benefit to interacting with these applications through our interface is not only is it a lot more user-friendly, like by being represented as an application, um, but also when you're interacting with these applications through our interface, you get to use our smart contracts, right? So the whole process that I was just explaining to you where bundlers execute transactions instead of users. Mm -hmm. What that process looks like on Solon versus just going through the protocol, I'll give you an example as Uniswap, is if I want to trade on Uniswap today via, let's say, like MetaMask or CoinDeswap, right? I go to uniswap.org, I click launch. I'm now in their decentralized exchange. Then I have to connect my wallet, either MetaMask or CoinBase wallet. The next thing I do is select the assets I want to swap. Let's say I'm swapping Shiba Inu token for US dollar coin. I first select Shiba Inu token, type in the quantity. Then I select US dollar coin. The second box will automatically populate with the amount of US dollar coin I'll receive for swapping. I then press the button below. This first transaction will approve a token transfer from the Shiba Inu token smart contract. Then I have to do another one to interact with Uniswap smart contract with their liquidity pool. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I submit a transaction where I pay another fee in Ethereum um, to swap my Shiba Inu token for US dollar coin, and now I've received US dollar coin. It's a complicated process. There's a lot of steps. It's nowhere near user-friendly. But Uniswap is the largest DeFi protocol because they are the most user-friendly. That process is the most user-friendly today. Yeah. They didn't invent the decentralized exchange. Bancor did. But Uniswap made it the most user-friendly. Right? So what that process looks like on Solon instead is I click the Unis or, sorry, I click the Uniswap application. My wallet's already automatically connected. I then select whatever asset I want to swap, shoot any token. I type in the quantity. It'll automatically, then I select my next asset, US dollar coin. It'll automatically populate with the quantity, unless I want to do a limit order. I can also do a limit mm -hmm. order. And then I type, I edit the US dollar coin field. Um, anyway, and then I press swap and that's it that's the whole process and i just pay a fee in either us dollar coin or shiba inu token i don't even need to hold ethereum and the transaction's cheaper because we bundle together transactions to reduce costs so then there has to be though a liquidity or our provider that would allow you to swap shiba inu for whatever gas prices they need to pay for right like I so, gas so the way it works is we're still going through Uniswap smart contracts, but we're also uh, going through our smart contracts, right? So we're still using Uniswap source of liquidity. When users select the Uniswap application, they're not using our liquidity pools. They're really using Uniswap. They're using Uniswap smart contracts. We've just changed the interface to make more sense because of all the steps we've eliminated along the way. Gotcha. You're still interacting with Uniswap smart contracts. So when you use that Uniswap application, and you submit an order, the bundler only has permission to execute it through Uniswap smart contracts. So you're getting Uniswap's prices, but the actual transaction fee itself is cheaper 
because we're bundling together transactions with bundlers, right? These professional market niggers. Uh, because if I were to, let's say, um, send $10 to you versus sending a million dollars to you, I'd pay the same fee, right? And gas. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. So if, if we took all these, these like orders and bundled them together and executed them together, we're saving, we're saving our fees. Uh, and we're, we're then distributing that across users. And then we can also execute a coincidence of wants as well. So we'll also have our own exchange application. And the difference between our exchange application and the Uniswap one is on the Uniswap one, right? Ships are more user-friendly than normal Uniswap, but it is normal Uniswap. It's just easier for people to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's cheaper for people to use. Still normal Uniswap. Our bundlers are forced to execute the transactions on Uniswap smart contracts. But on our exchange application, our bundlers are free to execute it anywhere on the Ethereum blockchain. They decide how they want to execute it. So they can shop thousands of different decentralized exchanges to not only save you money on the cost of the transaction fee, but also get you the best price for the asset itself by shopping through all these liquidity sources. And they can also execute a coincidence of wants. So if you're working with a, a pair that has a high enough trading volume, um, you could execute a coincidence wants, which would be, for example, if you had one ETH that you want to swap for 1,400 US dollar coin, and I want to swap 1,400 US dollar coin for one ETH. It'd be a coincidence of wants. And a transfer is a much cheaper gas efficiency-wise trade than a more complicated smart contract interaction like a swap through a liquidity pool. Uh, so it's all about how can we make markets more efficient. Yep. Uh, yep. So then I guess you have bundlers signing up and ready to use your platform. So as a person, how do I become a bundler if I wanted to do that? So anyone can become a bundler, but at the end of the day, technically users select bundlers. We'll have a default bundler to make it more user-friendly, which will be like a professional market maker, like a winter meal. Um, But um, anyone can be a bundler and users can technically select their own bundlers. But at the end of the day, users only can select the bundlers that have the best returns. And uh, since bundlers are professional arbitrage traders, right? They're only executing these transactions when they can make money. Of course. and that also means they can make a shit ton of money on some of these ARB opportunities between the user's requested output and the market value they can get for their input, right? So they're actually incentivized to share their profit with the user since the user selects the arbitrator they want to work with. Um, so they're, at the end of the day, there will probably be only be six that actually make money out of maybe hundreds, right? It'll be the ones that get the best returns for users. Makes sense. So yeah, you're definitely making it so that everyone acts in their own best interest, but also in the greater good of the whole ecosystem. Exactly. It's all about how you organize these things, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we're we're really excited because you know what? At the end of the day, right? Um, you, I gave you Uniswap as an example, but that's still a complicated example. It's a very niche audience that even swaps on Uniswap, yeah. right? There's a lot of volume, but not many people at the end of the day. Um, so yes, it makes the process of interacting with the blockchain period a lot more simple. Uh, but even at step one, which is where we l- lose most users, right? The wallet creation process needs to be a lot more simple, right? Yeah. So that's why we've implemented social recovery instead of using C phrases. So the normal wallet creation process, as I'm sure you know, is you download MetaMask right, or, or Coinbase wallet or equivalent. Um, you're given 12 to 24 words. And you have to confirm them in back order. You're asked to write them down. If you lose that piece of paper and you lose access, you're screwed and you lose all your money. You pass away, your family doesn't know where it is. They're screwed. They lose all your money, right? Um, not a very efficient system. It takes a while to set up. It's a pain in the ass. It's kind of scary. Yeah, um, it's definitely scary. Yeah. So um, instead, we've implemented social recovery. 
So what that process looks like on Solana Stud is you download the app and then you just create a username and password and then you prompt it to further secure your account. So if you want to further secure your account, then you select what's known as guardian addresses. And guardian addresses are just other wallet addresses you trust, friends, family, addresses you own. Anyway, those addresses can initiate what's known as the social recovery process. Mm. So let's say you lose access to your wallet. You don't have any words or secrets or anything. You don't need to know any of that. You lose access to your wallet. You call up mom, you call up dad, say, hey, guys, I lost access. Um, do you just mind initiating the recovery process real quick? They just, they just click a button. Okay, yeah, no problem. Boom, you just regain access to your wallet. Just like that. How, right? how do you regain access? Is it just you get the... The, recovery the majority code. of guardians have to initiate the recovery process. But how does that actually work? Do I get like the recovery phrase, the 24 seat phrase? Does it pop up for them? They just give it back to me or is it? So um, I would comment, but I'm not the technical person. Right? I'm, the, <laughs> I'm the CEO and Ben can tell you exactly how it works. But there's like plenty of papers about social recovery. Okay. There's, there, it's all like open source work at this point. Uh, yeah, we created some of our own contracts, but. We're not making the social recovery process itself different. It's the same, okay. same process as whatever, whatever is normal. Uh, but the really cool thing that that Ben also implemented was obviously people get hacked in the space all the time, right? Um, when people lose control over the wallets, they usually lose 100 percent of their assets. Yeah. Um, so Ben came up with this idea that every wallet that's created, there's also a smart contract wallet called the Vault created with it, and this smart contract wallet has a, uh, well, the wallet itself is also a smart contract wallet, but another smart contract wallet. Uh, this this wallet has a time lock. And we haven't decided if we want the users to decide how long we want that be, if we're going to have a default one. But for this example, let's say it's three days. Right? So the users have this vote that come with their wallet that they're prompted to store the majority of their wealth in whatever they don't want to be liquid, right? Whatever I'm not using, back and forth, back and forth, volume to wise. Yeah. So 95% of your wealth. 90 plus percent of your wealth should really be in there. Stored in there. And let's say the time lock for this is three days. Right? So malicious party takes over my wallet somehow. They drain everything in there instantly. They then try to drain what's in my vault. They initiate a transaction to drain what's in my vault. But it's going to take three days. Or I don't know why I held up five fingers. But <laughs> it's going to take three days for that transaction to actually go through. So in those three days, I can initiate the social recovery process regain control of the wallet and cancel the transaction and create a new wallet ah, so then, and save the majority of my assets. So then uh, it's interesting because I'm wondering if there's going to, if there's going to be a battle for that wallet after you get that social recovery. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there will be. Right. So uh, I, I actually, I was thinking about that recently. I haven't asked Ben exactly how that's going to work. I'm sure Ben has some sort of idea, <laughs> but yeah, in theory, right. They, the malicious party and you could just be going head to head for like weeks right, or months, whenever they want to quit. But at the same time, you got to keep in mind, most of these malicious actors are, are bots yeah, and they're not going to be interacting with separate smart contracts, right? It's only going to be the few individual malicious actors. No one's creating a custom bot for our interface, at least at this point in time, right? It could be in the future, obviously, but anyway, at this point in time, any malicious actor that's going to be at the level where they're going to know how to drain your smart contract, well, it's going to be an, is in uh, sorry an individual, mm -hmm. um, and then I guess it would be a battle of attrition. Right? Like, <laughs> like I, I mean, if you make your time periods nice and long, like let's say a week, you know, you only got to check on that once every week. 
see if they fought you back yet. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, to be honest with you. I definitely got to ask Matt about that. That's a good it's a great point. Yeah, I'm curious to see how it's going to work because I think you're also bringing new ideas of how to use, I guess what innovation is, using current technology with a little bit of a spin and creating a whole new path and flow of how to use an entire ecosystem. So that's exciting. And I'm exactly. excited. I'm excited it's all about for you guys. how we structure these things. Right? Exactly. Now, as CEO and working, you know, in Solon Labs, going to school, and also making your own money somehow, um, how do you, how do you like take time for yourself to just step away from crypto or just relax? Or do you even do that because you're just so obsessed you don't even care? Like, what do you do for your own mental health? So, like. Uh, actually, my I'm, I'm fortunate. My little brother also goes to Northeastern. He's a good friend of mine. Thankfully, I'm friends with all my brothers. <laughs> um, but anyway, we work out every other day. I wake up at, every day at six thirty. We work up at work out every other day at six thirty. Um, and he's like a five minute walk away. He'll come to my place for a kid. Um, and then you know, on the weekends, college kid. I've got like two other friends. We'll usually do like barbecue or yeah. something. Maybe we'll go out. Uh, to Fenway because you know you know Fenway's great yeah. um, but you know I, I do I, I you got to take some time to yourself always because uh, if you don't you're going to go crazy at some point <laughs> yeah it's hard man it's a 24-7 industry and you can always go on your Twitter or Discord and just find oh, yeah. a message yeah. to respond to yep. <laughs> Um. so how many more so you have six more classes up. So you'll be graduated by next year, hopefully. Actually, I have um, four classes left. Okay. Awesome. So I'll be graduated in the spring. Awesome. That's exciting. I'm excited for you. Um, so then hopefully by that time, Solon Labs will be fully launched working. Um, but do you have any like roadmap plan of where to take it after this first step? Like, are you, are you ready for the next steps already? Or are you just like, let's get through this phase. So the CEO, the CEO mindset. Um, it's very much like, let's get this product to market. Right? Yeah. Uh, but we do kind of have the next phase in mind. And that's a, we plan on launching the product first and then really refining the product based on any analytics and user data we can pull. Um, for like probably a few months, I would say, and then at least, and then once we feel like we have an extremely high retention rate, then we'll finally deploy our DAO and, and do our public sale and okay. our governance token. Gotcha. Uh, nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty popular move nowadays too, of how to actually start the, start the DAO. Um, yeah, you know, you might think, you know, people. But at the end of the day, right, I might think I've created the world's most user-friendly Web3 product, but it might not be, right? Yeah, I mean, this yeah. industry moves so fast. Tomorrow, some want to come out, oh, just launch this thing out of nowhere. And... Exactly. <laughs> um, well, yeah, speaking about that, like being in the industry for a few years now, what crypto pet peeve do you have? Oh, um, <laughs> so I kind of like... I have become very involved in the crypto the Twitter NFT space yeah. <laughs> just because I, the normal crypto chat space, mainly on telegrams and things like that. Those, those people sometimes like really gets me. Like no one ever really gets me, but I'm just like, bro, like, why are you talking like this? I don't really want to be in this chat right now. 
well like nft twitter's all like good vibes and gms and yeah sunshine and rainbows <laughs> which you know some people don't like that shit like at least everyone's nice everyone's on a good vibe everyone's excited about the space but then you get into like these these crypto chats with bitcoin maxis and they're just like and you if you don't believe in bitcoin you're you're fucking like, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. i'm like bro i don't need this shit in my life yeah it's it's so sad because like i love bitcoin as bitcoin but there's then maxis in every industry is bitcoin maxis ETH oh, yeah. maxis cardano maxis yeah. like solana maxis any maxi in my mind is like just stop it doesn't you don't have to be so extreme the extremism is what's turning this world upside down i agree most people are on like the same page where we're just trying to figure out this technology work with different blockchains because yeah i mean obviously we think ethereum is going to be the number one or bitcoin's gonna be number one or whatever is going to be number one but there's there's always going to be multiple blockchains. Human beings are not very good at agreeing on one protocol or agreeing on one blockchain. We're going to disagree and think what's better is... Yeah, even if it has one user, there yeah. will always be someone. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, how do we work together to make it most efficient for everybody? Because you can do that if we work together. But that's, the, um, that's a tough part because extreme people are always the loudest. Uh, that's good but you know what at the same time right we have to design these systems so that hey, people will always do them extreme people will always want to do extreme shit that's <laughs> what it is it's yeah. society right exactly and um yeah so your hoodie has an address on it so is this the community that you're representing and loving so this is the smart contract address for the uh, the adidas nft ah. for their minting contract and then they partnered with, uh, this is G Money's logo. He's a famous crypto punk. Uh, this is the Barty Biak Club. Uh, Punk's Comics. And then obviously the Adidas logo. Nice. Uh, yeah, going off that route, I want to know also, what is your favorite wholesome crypto moment? Being in so many communities, bringing company together, this industry. There's got to be some moment in your life where you're like, that felt good to be a part of or witness. So I was in this Discord one time this for Deadheads, and this was an NFT project, which at the time really blew up. Didn't last very, like the hype didn't last very long, but it was pretty pretty big. This was July or June of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is very early on to the NFT bowl, one of the very first NFT bowl projects. Um, this is like two months after the board of the right? Um, and I was in this Discord, and you know Gary Vee had discovered it. I was a moderator in this Discord. I had known these guys from the last project. That's awesome. Uh, they did artificial intelligence art, and that's where I found them. And then I was, I was like, hey, you guys should make a Discord, blah blah blah. And then they did another NFT project, and they asked me if I would help them out, and I volunteered to. Project blew up. Gary Vee got involved. Blah blah blah. People were pouring in, and there was this <laughs> one guy who popped into the chat and was just like, hey guys, like I, I accidentally just sold my NFT for he sold it for like 0.05 E now uh, at the time it was unrevealed at the time the floor was 0.5. So he fat fingered it. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was like, well, you know, he could have maybe sold it to himself. Maybe he's trying to like you, it's, you always have to assume the worst case scenario, right? Like there are all sorts of crazy people. Yeah. There was this one guy, this guy, Bob, Bob Amore. And he he was like, you know what? I even talked to him about it. It's like, you know what? Yeah, he could have been malicious, whatever. It doesn't matter. But you know what? At the end of the day, like, I just, I understand how bad that dude must feel if obviously that actually happened. 
Like, because this good. And then after he bought this guy, Bob, just by the way, he bought him one and he just sent it to him. Um, no questions asked. And then the guy after was like, hey, I think he had uh, multiple sclerosis or something. And he's like, and he absolutely just fat fingered it because he, of his disease, right? Like, yeah. he, he, it's hard for him to control his muscles. Um, so that was just like a really cool moment. Uh, and it's, it's been really cool to be in Web3 in general. Like, I've seen all sorts of cool moments. I've seen like hundreds of thousands of dollars in stolen items recovered from scanners. You know? mm-hmm. People are great. You see really cool things in this space. I know. I wish we talked more about that, right? Like, we see tons of scammers. The scammers are making headlines, but then. Like, uh, I think one recent one that I saw that was kind of wholesome was the issue where BitBoy was, was suing, uh, the, the YouTuber, I forgot his name. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, um it was like suing a Bitcoin, a YouTuber for like I, calling BitBoy out. I saw out. the guy's thread about the lawsuit. Yeah. His response. And then Kobe came out of nowhere. I was like, all right, here's like money to help pay for your lawsuit. And then BitBoy re- retracted his lawsuit because he even said oh because kobe is giving him money like like that's kind of like like now that he has support you're like like that's like a system where like the community really came in to support someone who's just using his platform to just to like show what he's recognizing that's what's happening in the ecosystem as someone's doing some kind of um i guess trying just to make money in the ecosystem like that's what bitcoin was doing is working for his advertisers and yeah you know, it's transparency right like yeah. it's, they're pushing this ethos this envelope of decentralization right? exactly. and and it's cool that we do yeah twitter is obviously a centralized platform right but it's a good way to express free speech at the end of the day at least for now right and maybe lens one day will make it if they ever want to make it free to tweet yeah. to tweet but it's just so cool to see people really speaking out, like to have transparency, to be able to follow all these transactions along the internet, like things like what Zach XBT does, for example, it, people like that amaze me. It's so cool. Yeah. And that's like the beautiful thing, beautiful thing about this ecosystem is that bad actors are shown, but also a lot of good actors are shown too. Like we have good people on this world that really want to create a community just to better everyone's lives and not be so malicious, but it's just hard to break away from bad news because good news doesn't bring as many likes. That is for sure. <laughs> well, thank you again, Max, for being on the show. I'm like super excited for you. I'm super excited for your for you and Ben to create Solon Labs and launch it. Um, I'm in the Boston area, so we'll definitely see more of each other. But thanks again, man. Thanks for having me, Rudy. Have a great day. You too. <laughs>